0: We are in a series that we are uh, entitled Groundwork. That's why we have this construction zone up here, because all of us are a people under construction. We, none of us are where we should be, and none of us... See, we use this as an excuse. Christians use this as an excuse all the time. We're never going to be uh, you know, fully transformed in the image of Christ until we go to heaven. And what you hear oftentimes when Christians say that is, so why bother? Right? See, that's, not, that's a lie. The truth is that there is no greater change agent in the history of all creation than God. God is looking to transform your life and my life to change it so that you would live a prevailing life. And so, as we thought about this series, every January all of us have these hopes and dreams. And by February, we're failures in so many ways. So uh, a lot of us thought, well, what if we tried to do it together? What if we tried to change together instead of just, just doing it on our own? What if we worked through it as a church? If we got, you know, four or 500 of us to get together and try to do this together. And, and so that's what we're trying to do. And I, I hope you're taking it seriously. Um, you know, I, I'm, I was woken up this morning by a Facebook post from a friend. And if you're here, uh, this is how seriously we're taking this. If you are here last week, you'll know what I'm talking about. She, she sent me an article that said... Fourteen truths only skinny fat people know. <laughs> and they were true and painful. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so last week we talked about transform, transformation in our physical health. And so I, I'm trying to go to the gym and I'm trying to eat healthy and I hope some of you guys are. And we're, we're trying to encourage each other that way. Now, the reason we're giving you notebooks, this is what the notebook looked at like when it came out the first week. If you don't have a notebook, we ran off, we gave out how many of these already? 450 of these already, and we're out of them, but we made more. So if you don't have a notebook, raise your hand, and one of the ushers is going to bring you a notebook. Raise it up high, don't be ashamed, just put your hand up in the air, they will bring you a new notebook. And every week in this notebook, we are adding chapters to it that deal with what we're trying to bring change in our lives to. The first week, we talked about goals. Goals are the key to transformation. If you set no goals for transformation in different areas in your life, I guarantee you 100% success. You will not change. But if you will set good and godly goals, we talked about it week one, what those goals look like, that they should be big and all the rest, you will change. So every week, we give you on page one of the handouts that we give you, we give you a, a goal for each area. Uh, we talked about spiritual health. We talked about physical health. This week we're talking about emotional health. So there's a goal for your emotional health. I want you to write down the goal, what, what it would be coming out of this process, and two or three ways that you're going to get there. The Mike Tyson principle. Everybody has a, a plan until they get punched in the nose. So it's not just an idea of how I'm going to change, but these are the things I'm willing to try. I'm willing to try to put into my life. So you get that every week. You get sermon notes every week. Why? Well, we want to give you something that's tactile, that you can feel and touch and see, not just hear. So you can follow along and you can write in what's going on up here, and you can think about it maybe uh, during the week. Then we're trying, as a staff, to write four devotions a week for for all of you uh, that we're creating based on this material. So, uh, you know, we're not shooting too high here. We're asking if you would just, together, as we try to change together, if you would just be willing to spend ten minutes Every other day, between now and next Sunday, thinking about this, wrestling with it in your mind based on these devotions, just 10 minutes. So there's four devotions in there for you. If you do one tonight, one on on Tuesday, one on Thursday, one on Saturday, you'll get through them. Don't pile them all up to next Saturday just to be, you know, that's not going to bring the the change we want. We want a constant thought, a constant reflection on these principles. And lastly, there is a memory verse in there. And the memory verse is there because we're trying to get you to read it every day and to kind of commit to the concept of these principles having some significance as based on what the the scripture says about them. So there's a memory verse in there for every week. Let's start with today's memory verse. And I'm going to ask you if you would read it together. So you have all your material hopefully at this point. Pens are in the baskets. If you don't have a pen, tap tap all the way shoulders to the center and get the guy to pass the basket back down and he'll get you a pen. But if we could, Dina, today's memory verse. Let's read it together. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This was written when people that took cities were the man. These are the days of the gladiators. These are the days of the conquerors. And the scripture is saying, yea, though the the culture might say that the dominant guy, the strong guy, the army guy, he's the champion. The scripture is saying, no, 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 you you don't understand. It's the guy that can rule his spirit, that can deal with his emotions, that's slow to anger. He is the greatest. He is better than the one who can take over a city. That's how strong... Read. I see another hand back there. (laughs) That's how strong and big our emotions are. Now, here's what it wasn't explained to me when I first kind of bought into this Jesus might be who he says he is, principle. Lots of folks told me I should study the scriptures, I should get to know more about God. And that is 100% completely true. We fall down here because we don't study the things of God. We think we know them or we think we don't need to know them. But here's what nobody told me, that that's not primarily what God is interested in. Do you know that God is not primarily interested in your knowledge of him? Here's what the scripture says. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, Jesus said that you must love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, that's certainly a component, and with all of your strength. Do you hear the emotion in what Jesus is trying to get through to you and I? That this is not primarily a faith based solely on knowledge that Jesus is really looking for your heart. Jesus desires a relationship with you based not on what you know, but on on, on an emotional level. Deep. Nobody ever told me that. Seemed outside of the bounds of what I heard most Christians talking about. Jesus desires to be in a relationship with you that goes deeper than your head and into your heart. Now, why is that? Well, let me start, if you want to go to your sermon notes, by talking about why these emotions matter. Why do my emotions matter? The church for for decades has essentially said to people, you know, don't, don't worry about your emotions, don't worry about your emotions. See... Our emotions matter. Let me give you a couple of reasons why our emotions matter. Here's the first one, and I'm not sure that we really embrace this. God has emotions. God is an emotional being. God is not some robot up in the sky that just thinks. God experiences. God feels. God has emotions. Scriptures are replete with evidence about this. In fact, in theological studies, this is how they prove the personhood of God by showing that God has these emotions. Let me give you a couple of verses here. Uh, 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not not love does not know God because God is love. God loves. It's, it's It's the biggest part of who He is. How about this? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, you might, you might hear that without thinking it, thinking and putting it in its proper place. You might go, oh, that's blasphemous to say God is jealous. Well, he says it about himself. He says, I'm jealous. You know what he's jealous over? You. He says, I'm a jealous God. It hurts me when you chase after idols. How about this one? Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness, speaking of his people, and grieved his heart. You know, God gets a broken heart over us. You see the relationship God desires to have with you. This is not a purely head-knowledge relationship. There's something going on that God desires with us and in us and through us. Well, how about, okay, that's about a lot about God. What about Jesus? All right, well, if you know any of the stories of Jesus, right, you know Jesus, he, he let his emotions fly a lot. Always under control, but he never hid them. We've got Jesus uh, laughing. We've got uh, Jesus saying hard things. We've got Jesus flipping over tables. Uh, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Well, his friend died. He, he was about to bring him back to life. But it didn't matter to Jesus because he was experiencing pain. He wept when he saw what, what, what the loss of Lazarus was doing to, to, to people he cared about. See, Jesus has emotions. Jesus gets frustrated. Do you get frustrated with people? Where do you think you get that from? God gets frustrated with people. Or Jesus gets frustrated with people. Gets disappointed in them. Gets his heart broken. He's jealous. He loves. This is wild stuff. It almost seems blasphemous to say, right? God has feelings. Oh, how about the Holy Spirit? That seems very spiritual. That, he must not have feelings. 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. The Holy Spirit, in fact, theologically, this is the way the Holy Spirit is a person. And one of the key verses to explaining why he's a person is he has emotions. He has feelings. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can make, it, make him sorrow. You can bring him sorrow. God has emotions. So if God has emotions, point number two then rolls into this. If God has feelings and emotions, then you, your feelings, your emotions, my feelings and emotions are actually a gift from God. Your emotions are a gift to you from God. What's the scripture say? It says in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The reason you have emotions is you were created in the image of God. God has emotions. God has feelings. Feelings are not bad things. The church often has said, you know, don't, 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 don't feel. But that would be locking out part of your humanity. The reason we love is that God loved us. Have you ever been in love? You know the first time you're in love, you know that feeling? Where do you think that came from? There's love on earth because God first loved us. We feel because God gave us the gift of feelings. It's a fascinating psychological study I was telling Joan about last night. Emotions are a gift and are an important gift. You can't live without Emotions. Uh, They did a psychological study of a a man that suffered a traumatic brain injury, and it was in the area of his brain where emotions um, come from. And so the trauma that had been delivered to that area of his brain had rendered him emotionless. The the individual was a very highly educated, highly intellectual human being. But when rendered emotionless, you would think, well, that's even better, right? Because now this smart guy can just do what his smarts would tell him. But that's not what happened. What happened was he couldn't even make himself lunch anymore because he would go into the kitchen and he would look at bread and meat and peanut butter and jelly and and cereal and, and, and grapefruits. He had no emotion to overlay on his intelligence and so he never could even make a choice about what to make for lunch. All his relationships withered and went away. It was a fascinating study. We think that if we could just repress the emotions, that then we'd make better decisions. But the truth is, you're given the emotions as a gift from God. It's part of, it's part of your creation. God is not a robot. Either are you. They're a great, emotions are a great asset. They're what make us human beings. Number three. This one's, I, I felt this one just yesterday. Emotions connect us one to another. God is a God of emotions. God gave you uh, emotions as a gift. And thirdly, emotions connect us one to another. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says to, to the church in Rome, he says, listen, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It's like Paul says, look, if they're singing and dancing, go and sing and dance with them and celebrate. If they're mourning, go and sit with them and be quiet with them and just hold them. Because our our humanity, in many ways, is experienced in our, our emotions. Because if emotions are a gift from God, stick with me on this, if emotions are a gift from God, they are no different than every other blessing that God has given us. They were meant to be enjoyed, but they were also meant to be shared. If emotions are a gift if they're a blessing, they were meant to be enjoyed, but they were also meant to be shared, just like every other gift that God has given us. They weren't meant just for us. Our emotions, maybe like nothing else, or what are what connect us one to another. Some of you will be at a Super Bowl party later, and you'll be rooting, re- rooting for the Seahawks. And when they're drubbing the Patriots later tonight, you'll be high fives. <laughs> You'll be high-fiving each other, and there'll be an emotional connection starting to build there. I, I went to see the uh, Giant Cowboy game at Giant Stadium, as you may you know, most of you know, I'm a Cowboy fan, I have my Cowboy jersey on, and I was taking some abuse, not physical, but almost, <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and then when the Cowboys were really losing, it was increasing in, in stature. At one point, I literally had to tell a guy to take his hands off me. That's what it was getting like. And so everybody was getting whipped into a frenzy about this. And then all of a sudden, here comes Tony Romo back. And I remember the Cowboys got the ball with three minutes left, and I looked over at the guy that had been bothering me, and I just looked at him and said, this is going to be sweet. And, <laughs> and on one of the few occasions that he didn't throw an interception when it mattered, Right? They scored, and so what happened? Everybody in a cowboy jersey is hugging. It's what made it, it, builds, it builds us together. It, 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 these emotions are what connect to us. They're deep things. They're real things. Shared emotion is very bonding, and it's very healing. Shared emotion is very healing. Uh, I was at the gym yesterday. My son was in an all-day wrestling tournament. I was sitting with, with my wife there, and uh, I was sitting at Mount Off uh, High School. I went to Mount Off High School. And it was interesting because my, 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 my phone lit up with a Facebook post to the Mount Olive High School class of 2007. <laughs> I won't tell you what class, but it, it lit up to the Mount Olive High School class of sometime in the 1900s. And uh, I, I looked at it and it said, would everybody please pray for this girl, Jen? Um, Jen's husband had a heart attack this morning and died. I didn't know Jen in high school. And I, didn't know, I haven't talked to her in 20 years. But boom, connection. Spirit, emotion. It, it, it all comes to you. And, and so everybody from high school starts posting on this girl's Facebook post. In fact, the guy that organizes our, organizes our reunion. See, emotions are healing. This is what he wrote. I'm so sorry to hear the sad news. I only hope, Jen, that you can draw some amount of comfort, some healing from all of us that are thinking and praying for you and your family. See, the greatest level of intimacy one, with, uh, one human being enjoys with another is not on the psychological level. Very few of us are drawn to each other because we like each other's intellect. Man, that girl's brain is hot, right? It's not usually what draws us. That's not the deepest level. Now, what is it that does usually draw us? Bodies. Usually what draws us one to another is attractiveness. And so we start to go, that girl is hot. And we start to think that that is the greatest level of human uh, interaction. The greatest level of human intimacy is the physical world. And it is very strong and it is very great. The scripture speaks a lot about it. But that, if if you've enjoyed, if you've been involved in those relationships that have been based on the physical, the physical wanes. It goes away. So what is it then? If, it, if it's, not, if it's, not, it's not our brains, it's not our bodies, what is, it's, it's our emotions. That is where the deepest connections are. That is where the deepest intimacy is. That is where the deepest level of this between a husband and a wife and a parent and a kid and a friend and a friend. It's at the emotional level. Now, if it's at the emotional level that we have our deepest connections, listen, if it's at the emotional level where we have our deepest connections, where we connect with one another the most, where we love one another the most, it's also the area where we can hurt each other and do damage to each other the most. Nobody's soul ever got hurt by losing a psychological argument. See, the issue with our emotions is that few, so few of us in our brokenness enjoy good balance in them. You know what I mean? We we tend to be people who go to one extreme or another. We either can't control our emotions, or we're people that can't reach our emotions. We wind up either being led by our emotions, or we just don't feel at all. I do a lot of counseling around the church, and and so it's funny, because God seems to think that there's a sense of humor in putting together people that feel too much and people that feel too little. If you're married, this tends to be true, right? Right? Some of us, and it's not always men, but men get the bad rep for this. Some of us have a hard time, this is me, this is John. Some of us have a hard time accessing deep levels of emotion. It's easier for me to be emotional with people that are farther from me than it is the people that are closer with me. Isn't that strange? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I thought about it with my son this morning. When my son was young and little, I held him in my lap. I snuggled him. I nuzzled him. I told him I loved him. When he became 17, it wasn't as easy to do that anymore. Now, it would have been a little weird, okay? But I'd be lying to say there's not also something that went on in the emotional connection. It it, it disconnects a little bit there. And, of course, you know, women sometimes are being famous for the other way, being the other way. You know, too, too, too emotional. I won't get, in, we'll get into that because I know some guys that are that way too. But Look, this isn't just take place. In, this is a battle that goes on not just in a marriage, but it goes on in the church, right? There's some churches, all that matters is what the Bible says. Just keep reading the Bible. Stop worrying about how you feel. Just keep memorizing the scriptures. That's all God cares about. It's not true. That's not true. You should read the Bible, you should memorize some verses, but that's not at all God cares about. God desires to be in an emotional, and I mean that in a good way, an emotional relationship with our hearts. He longs for intimacy and heart connection. You know, this is, what does God say about his people? He says, these people, and by the way, this mirrors marriages a lot of times. These people, they love me with their, their lips. They worship me with their lips, but their hearts... Are far from me. How many times in a a relationship have you felt that somebody was worshiping you, loving you with their lips, loving you with their actions, but their heart wasn't in it? Right? And see, churches make the mistake on the other side, too. It, it goes the other way, too. Just as troubling is an overemphasis on feelings, on emotions. In other words, oh, with my church, I, if I'm not experiencing God in that church, if I'm not getting emotionally moved to tears every time, if my heart is not getting touched, well, then that's just not the place for me. And so, what you wind up with is people chasing emotion all over the place. It it doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't, doesn't matter what community is. It doesn't, by the way, matter if maybe somebody gives you some truth which might hurt your feelings. I'm picking up my ball and going home because it's all about how I feel. We kind of do that in our relationships, one with another, too. See, we can sometimes sit around and go, it doesn't matter what the proof of his love is. It doesn't matter what effort she put into it. I'm not just feeling it. So yes, he might love me, but I because I'm not feeling it, it doesn't matter what's right or wrong. It doesn't matter what the truth is. I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere else where I feel it. Emotions are a gift to be shared, shepherded, and stewarded. We need to manage this gift that God has given us of our emotions. There's an old saying that says you either need to learn to control your emotions or they will control you. And when you lose control of your emotions, it will lead you to very bad places and poor decisions. Now, if you're in the notes, you'll see that I I wrote down three reasons that you need to control or manage or steward your emotions. And and this this is the most important one is number one. Uh, this one is, God has been showing me this for years in my own life, and, uh, and I just see it so often in everybody else's life that I talk to. Um, it's probably the most practical thing I may ever teach you. If, it's more true in my life and your life than you can possibly imagine, because you don't even know it's there. The number one reason you need to master your emotions, the number one overarching, biggest reason you need to, uh, to manage your emotions... Because my feelings are often wrong. Just plain wrong. Now, if we could embrace that, if we could start to be a people that might start saying, you know, know, I feel this way, but it might not be true. I feel this way, but maybe it's not true. Your whole life could change. Your feelings, listen guys, your feelings are very powerful things. They have tremendous power over you. Your feelings are personal things. Your feelings are provocative things. Your your feelings are persuasive things. Those, Those things are all true. But here's the deal. Your feelings are not perfect things. They are often wrong. Often wrong. If we could just stop for a minute. And say, wait a minute, I might feel this way right now, but it might not be true. If we could get a hold on the feeling and stop it for a moment, our whole lives could be very different. You know what the Bible says about this? In Proverbs 14, Proverbs is called the Book of Wisdom. It says this, there's a a way that feels right to a man. It feels right. I'm sure of it. I know it in my heart. It's funny, I've given this example before, but a few years ago, I'm always beating up on the Kardashians, and I shouldn't do that. But a few years ago, Kim was on, and she had just gotten divorced from her, her, her husband for how many days she was married to him. See, this is the problem with all of us, right? <laughs> we know how long Kim Kardashian's marriage was. but So whatever, the, how many days those, those days were, and they were interviewing her, and she said, you know what, I just wasn't feeling it. And she said, sometimes you just have to follow your heart and I dove for the remote, hit pause. I looked at 17-year-old Courtney, and I said, Courtney, whatever you do, do not do that. (laughs) Your heart will lead you to some bad places because your emotions, your feelings, are often just plain wrong. Proverbs 14 says there's a way that feels right to a man, and in the end, it only leads to death. If we could get a hold of the feelings for just a moment and hold on to them and think they might be wrong, it could change a lot of things. Now I've been doing, I spent a lot of time this week researching this and this stuff is fascinating. I don't pretend to be a psychologist or a brain surgeon or anything like that. But there is some stuff that comes up over and over again that really helped me understand this better. Here's one thing, right? Our brains, our minds, our emotions, our gifts from God, you and I, were created in His image, and we're created, our bodies work a certain way. You know that, right? Like, you know you need water. If you don't have water, you'll die. Well, there's other ways that our bodies are created, very similarly, okay? And, and, and some of that is, is the way we feel. Feelings, emotions, create tags in your brains, in your senses. They create a memory. Feelings help create memories. I'm going to prove this to you right now. Raise your hand if you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001, almost 13 and a half years ago. Raise your hand if you remember where you were. Keep it up. Okay, now keep it up if you remember where you were September 11th, 2014, just a few months ago. See, emotions are are very powerful things. Emotions tag memories. Emotions create something in us. I could go on. I could ask you, tell me, how many of you remember, nobody wanted to do this in the first service because I think they were all awkward, but if I asked you, tell me where it is you had your first kiss. Most of you would say, I remember where I had my first kiss. If I asked you what you had for lunch on Tuesday... Very few of you could tell me what you had for lunch on Tuesday. Do you see the power of emotion in your life? It is a very powerful thing. Emotions connected to events create memories. Events with no emotion attached to it fade away. And here's what happens with these emotions. They act in our mind like a filter in our brains. These emotions get attached to memories, and they become like a filter through which we run experiences in our lives. And these filters is a coffee filter here. I'm going to use this as an example. I just took a coffee filter from my house. This is kind of what what emotion does in our brain. We hear things through filters. I'm going to talk about husbands and wives this morning because I see it in in me. I see it in a lot of the folks I, I do counseling with. And here's what you should take out, take something out of this. Anybody who's in a relationship that could use some improving. These filters over our lives get very clogged. Very clogged. We build up a lot of these things through which we run what goes on in our lives. What psychologists would call triggers. And so emotions come up when they're triggered. The science, as I understand it, best I can understand it, is that you and I can have about five, seven cognitive conscious thoughts at any one time. You don't got 30 things running through your mind. You have somewhere between 2 and 7 probably at any given time. The rest are subconscious thoughts. But something happens. Somebody says something, does something, a smell, a sound, whoom, out of the subconscious, into the conscious, and you know what comes barreling in with it? Feeling, emotion. Those things don't race into your conscious without emotion attached to them. I actually looked at pictures of what the emotion looked like on the fluids that were going into the brain. It was fascinating stuff. That's why oftentimes when these things come flooding in, we react emotionally in disproportionate ways to whatever the stimuli was we were given. Have you ever reacted disproportionately to the stimuli you were given? We all do. Many of you have seen um, uh, American Sniper with Chris Kyle and, and his battle with post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? He comes home and he's going along just fine um, fr- from being the sniper in the Middle East until there's a trigger event and the memory and the associated feeling flood right back into his brain and suddenly he overreacts to the stimuli. I had a neighbor that I grew up down the street with. He fought in the Vietnam War. He would all the time, if he's sleeping in the middle of the night, any time his kid came in late, any you know the dog jumped off a of bed, he jumped out of bed, went under his bed looking for his gun. He didn't have a gun, but it just flashed back for him to Vietnam. And see, here's the truth. The truth is, you and I build up that same filter In our lives, we get this stuff too. We all experience these things. This is why you can come home from work, husbands, you can come home from work, and your wife can say to you, honey, how was your day? That's a very kind, common, and caring question. But you know, gentlemen, what that triggers in your mind. Oh, no. I know what you want. She wants to tell me this, or she wants to tell me that. She wants to know so she can make some snippy remark about my job, or she wants to tell me, she's just saying that because she wants to move the conversation to how I spend too much time at work, or how much, much, I don't spend enough time with the kids. Oh, and then she's going to talk about the Robinsons next door, and how they just got a new Lexus, and how he gets home at 5.30, and all this, you feel the filter. All you got asked was how your day was, but when it ran through the filter, it seemed totally different. And you react with a disproportionate, not, a, not even disproportionate, an unrelated emotion. It triggered memories and emotions for you. See, once your filter gets clogged, once you have a clogged filter, it doesn't matter who clogged it, it doesn't matter what happened. It could have happened when you were a little girl and, and some older boy said that you, you were not good looking. It could have been a father that told you maybe just one day, you know, as you sat with your daddy, he kind of summed you up and he said, uh, you're not a very good athlete, or I don't think you're that smart, or I don't think you're going to be that successful, and he didn't mean anything by it. Maybe he was just joking. Maybe your mother one day at the dinner table said, you know, honey, I think you her watch what watch, eat. you're eating a little too much. And these things, they build up in our minds. These emotions build up in our minds, and when something triggers them, they rush to the forefront of our consciousness, and whatever is coming at us gets filtered through this, and our filters get clogged. It could be something as small as a raised eyebrow that did it. It could be something as much as physical or sexual abuse. It doesn't matter, because when your filter gets clogged, whatever is coming, it could be the purest, cleanest of waters... It all comes out looking the same. See, so you got a bad filter. When your filter gets clogged, this is why you come home sometimes in a bad mood. This is why you overreact to each other. This is why sometimes you just blow up o- o- over nothing. I see this more in marriages than anywhere else. We get clogged filters old memories, hurts, emotions, something triggers us. It doesn't matter what your husband said or what your wife said to you, they come through the wrong way. Honey, how was your day? And all you get is, stop nagging me. What a beautiful young lady that is. What are you calling me, a fat pig? Did you record the first one? Uh, okay, listen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, emotions, that's right. <laughs> see, we're going to talk about that in a second because that's exactly it. Right now I'm feeling very disrespected. <laughs> I didn't want to use this mic. All right, see, the filters get so clogged in our lives. T- I get to do, <laughs> the filters get so clogged in our lives, our emotions get attached to so many things, that after years of your filters building up in your marriage relationships, you don't even need to sit next to each other, to, or excuse me, speak to each other, and you'll be sitting on the couch next to each other, and there's a running conversation going on, It there's no words being exchanged, but there's a running conversation going on in your mind, right ladies? I can hear you right now. Look at him. <laughs> I know what he's thinking. I know what he's thinking right now. Right now, he's sitting over there thinking that there's plenty of laundry, I have no clean clothes, and what am I doing sitting on the couch? I should be doing something. I should be getting some clean clothes. And meanwhile, I'm telling you, he's likely thinking about chicken wings or something. <laughs> but when the filter gets clogged, right? Right? emotions are powerful. You realize people are getting divorced all the time. The relationships are breaking up everywhere because emotions got attached to triggers and they never cleaned out any of the filter. And so over years and years and years, you can't even speak to each other anymore. We all experience this to one degree or another. We all, listen, you're all feeling guilty? I am too. We all experience this to one degree or another. We get clogged filters. Enough on that one. It's the key point, though. Your feelings lie. Your feelings are lying to you a lot. They're often wrong. Don't just follow them. We need to clean out the filters. Point number two, my emotions are easily manipulated. Dale Carnegie, maybe the most famous American writer or lecturer on self-improvement and salesmanship and corporate training, public speaking, interpersonal skills, he wrote the famous book, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie, quote, when dealing with people, remember, you are not dealing with creatures of logic, but creatures of emotion. The Bible in Proverbs 25, again, the book of wisdom, listen to this one, like an open city with no defenses is the man with no check on his feelings. How good is that? I'll give that one to you again. Proverbs 25, like an open city with no defenses is the man with no check on his feelings. Today you're going to go home. Many of you are more interested in the Super Bowl commercials today than you are the Super Bowl. But when you go home, if you will watch them and think about this, are they trying to inform you? Are they trying to give you knowledge right now? Or are they trying to get you to feel differently? And what you'll notice is they're not trying to inform you. They're trying to move your emotions. Because when our emotions change... We begin to think differently. If we don't control our emotions, we become people who are easily manipulated. When our emotions get moved, it can make us think differently, it can make us act differently, and for people that are trying to follow God, it can make us believe differently. Some of you know one of the names in the scripture for the devil is the deceiver. Your emotions will deceive you, and he will use nothing better than that. My emotions are easily manipulated. Next there's this, managing my emotions pleases God. Managing my emotions pleases God, Romans 8, 6-8. to If our minds are ruled by our desires, just simply by our emotions, we will die. But if our minds are ruled by the Spirit, we're going to have life and peace. Our desires fight against God because they do not and cannot obey God's laws. But if we follow our, de- if we follow our desires, we cannot please God. If you make following your emotions the ruler of your life, God is not the ruler of your life. If all of your decisions are based on what you think, what you feel, and not based on what God wants and what God desires, then your emotions have become your God. Our emotions will always lead us to a creating of a God of our own will. This is why people say, well, I would never believe in a God like this, where my God says that. That's a creation of your own will. You are just essentially uh, attaching your emotions and creating a God out of them. To be followers of God, we have to control our emotions. Lastly, this one is very interesting. My EQ, my EQ is more important to my life story than my IQ. Now, most of you know IQ represents your intelligent quotient. It's how smart you are compared to other people. But your EQ is a measure of your emotional intelligence. It's your ability, compared to other people, to perceive, control, evaluate, and express emotion. Since the 1990s, EQ has kind of made a journey from something kind of obscure to something that's talked about a lot more. In fact, for children today, you could buy your kids toys that will help with their EQ. When my kids were little, it was just all about their IQ. For decades, IQ was viewed as the primary determinant of people's success in their lives. People with high IQs were assumed to be destined for a life of accomplishment and achievement and significance, but interestingly enough, researchers are beginning to think it differently. Here's three fascinating statistics on your EQ, being able to control your emotions. First, a national insurance company found that sales agents who were weak in EQ sold policies with an average premium of $54,000. Not bad. Not bad but they compared them to agents who scored high in a majority of emotional competencies, they sold policies worth an average of $114,000. More than twice. Research carried out by Carnegie Institute of Technology showed that 85% of your financial success is due to skills in human engineering. EQ. Shockingly, only 15% was due to technical knowledge. Your ability to control your emotions has major impact in your life, in your success, in your prevailing, in your overcoming. Additionally, a Nobel Prize winning psychologist found that people would rather do, this is fascinating, they would rather do business with a person they like and trust rather than someone they don't, even if the likable person is offering a lower quality product or a service at a higher price. Controlling your emotions, man. Lastly, psychologists now agree that among the ingredients for success, IQ counts for roughly 10%. The rest is dependent on other factors, including EQ. Controlling your emotions is more important to your life than you thought they are a gift from God. They are to be enjoyed, stewarded, and shepherded. How do you do that? How do I do that? How do I control them? Well, The first key, the primary key, If you get nothing else out of this, the primary key is to believe what I feel right now might not be true. That's the primary key. We talked about it. But I'm going to give you a couple other things to write down here. How do I take the power out of my emotions? How do I unclog this filter? First thing you need to do is this, figure out what it is that you feel. You need to figure out what it is that you're feeling. Not just react. Not just feel the emotion. You need to name the emotion. To, in a sense, pause when it gets into the cognitive mind, and the feelings, the emotions come right behind it. Start to ask yourself, "Why am I feeling this? What is it that I'm feeling right now?" Don't just explode. Pause. David in, in the psalm said this. He goes, "My thoughts are restless, and I'm confused." So you've got a Scripture talks about taking every thought captive. You've got to pause for a moment and go, what am I feeling right now? My wife simply asked me how my day was. Why am I so mad? Stop for a minute. Examine what you're feeling. Where did it come from? Depending on the study that you look at, there's between two or seven or eight different real feelings that any of us can have. They fall into those categories. So the question for us becomes not just, well, am I annoyed or sad? But what is it that made me this way? What am I feeling? Am I, am I annoyed because my pride was been hurt or my motives have been questioned? Am I, am I worried and depressed today because of my lack of retirement savings? Well, that's fear. Now, I've named it, I'm feeling fear. And once you put a name on it, jealousy, envy, lust, once you put a name on what you're feeling, then you can begin to deal with it. But until you name it, it's just an emotion. It, it's, just, it's just deluding you. There's two things to think about here. The first is, what was the message that emotion conveyed to me? In other words, what came through my filter? She asked me how my day was, and I heard you're a lazy slob. What was the emotion that came there? What was the message that came with it? He just said that the cheerleader was cute. Why did I hear I'm a fat pig? What was the message that came through? My kid got cut from the cheerleading squad. I'm burning up with anger, but go deeper. Why? What is the message that came through your filter when your daughter got cut? Was it about your own inadequacies? You see what I mean? Identify the message that came through, and when you do it, you disarm it. Wait a minute. I shouldn't be afraid. I have more money than most of the people that have ever lived. Wait a minute. Just because my daughter got cut from the cheerleading team doesn't mean that I'm, I'm inadequate or that she's inadequate. That's just the way it felt. If I'm anxious, what am I afraid of? If oh, I'm sad. What, what have I lost? If I'm angry, how, how have my values been attacked? If I'm happy, what is it that I gained? The second is to know your triggers. If you would know what it is that sends that subconscious thought into the conscious and just floods you with emotion, Chris Kyle, the American Sniper, his triggers, he'd hear sounds, right? Uh, maybe somebody would even touch him, and it would trigger, the emotions would come flooding back. If we could step back and understand what our triggers are, what floods our emotions um, with feelings that cause us to react disproportionately. You don't want to shoot up the auto repair, r- repair shop if a car backfires, and you don't want to bludgeon your spouse because they asked you what check number was missing from the checkbook. You see, because when they asked you what check number was missing, what you felt was not what check number was missing, right? What you felt was, oh, she's questioning, you know, my whatever. You got a clog filter. You got to clean the filter out. You got to capture that thought. What am I feeling right now? What's the message that just got communicated to me? That's not what she said. What message got spoken to me? When you do that, these triggers lose their power. Second, with your emotions, you need to replace your emotions. You don't want to repress your emotions. Think about tennis balls in a pool. If you've got your emotions are coming at you, they're like tennis balls in a pool. You can hold them down for a while, but eventually you can't hold them down anymore, and like a tennis ball at the bottom of the pool, when it lets out, it flies. You don't want to repress your emotions. You want to replace them with the truth. This is why we explode in anger. We need to replace things with the truth. The scripture says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Once you name your emotion and you understand what's behind it, you can deal with it. If you're afraid, you start to read scriptures about fear. See what I mean? You start to replace it with truth. There's a study done that showed actually what goes on in the brain. When thoughts like this come to your mind, if you put competing thoughts that disarm them, no, I am a beloved child of God. I am not a fat pig. I am gorgeous. My Father loves me. Those things build into your brain different things. You will go in a different direction. Don't repress the feeling. The feeling only gets bottled up inside. Replace it with the truth. You understand what the feeling is? You replace it with the truth. Third one, it's interesting, some of these focus ones, a lot of the research agreed with. You need to focus on the future. What does Paul say? He says, forgetting what is behind and striving towards what is ahead. You don't sit around all the time worrying about what he said to me. You know, guys, when, you're, when, you get, when it goes through the filter, right? When it goes through the filter, what you hear is, oh, you know what? I, I, my filter is clogged from what you said to me last night when we were arguing about this. Right? You need to forget about the past. Ladies, w- when it comes through the filter, you need to not let the filter say, I remember what you said seven years, three months, five days, and 14 hours ago about this topic. You need to let go of the history and, and, and focus on the future in your marriages. Stop looking about what happened in the past and start looking about where you want the marriage to go. Do you want to spend your Christmases together with your grandchildren, or do you want to get visited every third year? Do you want the beauty of growing old together, or do you want to live in a condo by yourself? Think about the future, the beauty of it, the possibilities of it, and let go of the past. It will disarm your emotions. Next, focus on the big picture. In the moment of pain or hurt or sorrow or anger or fear or confusion, it can be overwhelming. It can, it can seem like you can never get out. I had this experience a year or two ago. I had a lot of bad stuff going on, stuff at work, stuff in my personal life, stuff in my financial life. Everything was piling up on me. I had a bad day here at church. I went, Joan, then Joan calls and wants me to get pizza. So now I'm, a, I'm frustrated I go to Giuseppe's in Chester and I grumble in my spirit and I walk into Gi- Giuseppe's and as I walked in... I feel like God sometimes just talks to me. And, and I don't know. You feel like God just all of a sudden says, hey, idiot. Well, I don't think he says idiot, but that's the that's voice in my own head. He says, hey, uh, look around in here. Look at these people. Do they seem upset to you? I looked around. And everybody was enjoying their pizza. And I said, no. And he said, why, are, you know, do, do you realize that you're going to be here next week eating pizza too? And some other guy is going to come in. He's going to be overwhelmed by his emotion at the moment. But if you would just step back and look at the big picture. Okay, your house is in foreclosure. I know that stinks. I get it. But you are likely not going to live on the street. You are likely not going to be one of the 80% of the people that don't have food today. Step back for a moment and just look at the big picture. How about this one? This is this one is tremendous two left. This one has tremendous power. Focus on forgiving your triggers. See, you can avoid your triggers. But that's not going to bring any healing. Forgiving your triggers is where the healing is. What's the Scripture say? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. If you want to clean out your, your, your filters, you don't have to forget about the past. Me, you don't have to just forget about the past. You don't have to just look to the future or the big picture. The biggest factor in cleaning out your filter is forgiving the triggers. There is no greater power available to you than that. Figure out what triggers you. What you built up and forgive those things, it will cleanse your filter and you will get clean water running through. Forgive your triggers. And lastly is this, band, come on up. Lastly is this, reach out to friends. The scriptures replete with stories of uh, Job, one of his friends came up to him and says, why is your heart carried away? Why do your eyes flash I gave a sermon a while ago that everybody needs a Samson, somebody who would come into uh, their life and tell them truth. We all need truth tellers in our lives. Here's the problem. I, excuse me, Nathan, not Samson. Uh, here's the problem. Very few of us have a friend like this. When I do weddings, you know, the, the point of being a witness at a wedding, right, was that in, in, in ancient times, if you had two or three people that witnessed the contract, then it was a valid contract because they could hold you to it. When I do weddings, I, I, I have um, the bride and the groom take a vow, but I ask the witnesses to take a vow, which is when these two come to you inevitably and tell you how bad their spouses are, you are not going to do what everybody in the world does, which is say, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's a really bad guy. You should maybe think about moving on. No, no, no. That's not what friends do. The problem is we have friendships that are an inch thick, and nobody ever wants to say anything hard to anybody. But if you could find a friend that you could trust, and you could go to them with your emotions and how you're feeling, and they could say, what, are you kidding me? Like, you've got the best wife in the world. You just don't see it, dude. We need to find relationships. We need to get into small groups. We need to get in accountability groups. You need to go to Redemption on Monday night. You need to go to Daniel Plain. You need to go to the men's group. You need to get in starting point. You need to find a friend that you can ask questions about your emotions and say, please tell me, is what I'm feeling true because your feelings lie? Let's pray. God, you have given us an incredible gift. What greater gift, God, is there than love and passion and laughter and joy? even righteous indignation and anger. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to honor your name by placing our emotions, our feelings into proper perspective and that you would help us as a people to clean out our filters, that clear water, new water might flow again. In the great and healing name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.